Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb Davis, uh, as David introduced me earlier, and I recently started serving on, le- on the leadership team here at Hope, and a uh, new role is ministering to the next generation, uh, to our students here. Uh, I have a big heart for students uh, in the next generation. Actually, I teach uh, history uh, to eighth graders at Mount Jordan Middle School, just right down the road. And I also uh, am coaching uh, basketball, getting to do a little bit of that this year at Cottonwood High School. So definitely I'm doing those things because I have a heart for students. And I'm excited about being able to work with the awesome student leaders that are here at Hope uh, that are already doing a great job and coming alongside them as we uh, try to continue to build uh, the faith of uh, our students that we have here at Hope and, and hoping to as well bring others into the ministry and what we can do here. Uh, we... My wife and I, my wife Jamie and our little one Dax, we're, we're re- all of us are really grateful for Hope Church. We haven't been uh, a part of this body very long, but we are very grateful for uh, being here and be just being able to do life with you guys. Uh, there's so many awesome people uh, that are in this uh, audience, the congregation and audience even just right here that we've been able to build relationships with and uh, just be able to be a part of a church that really uh, seeks to make Jesus great. And it's been encouraging for us to see the service and just everything that goes on behind the scenes uh, among so many here. And we're just thankful uh, for this church and thankful to be with you guys. I'm thankful for this opportunity to open up uh, God's word and, and talk about what he has for us this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to uh, turn or tap your way to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic. Uh, the word should be up on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible and uh, would like to have a physical copy of, of the scriptures, we'd uh, love to gift you one on the way out. But Mark chapter 10 is where we will be this morning. When I was talking to the pastors and they shared with me I'd had this opportunity, they, they kind of encouraged me to uh, just share something that God's been doing in my life and my, in my heart. And uh, this passage of scripture stuck out as we, I was thinking through that. And it's neat because it, it kind of goes along with where we are at coming up on the new year. Uh, if you're like me, and some might not be, but uh, most of us in here probably, uh, anytime we come up to the end of a year and we're about to go into a new year, we kind of take a step back and think through all right, what, what do I want to do differently uh, this coming year? What do I want to improve about myself uh, for this coming year? These, uh, and we, we tend to set some goals and to set some uh, things that we are going to try to accomplish. And these are typically called New Year's resolutions, which is a fancy word for a set of goals that uh, are important to you for a few months, maybe a few weeks, maybe even a few days. Uh, maybe you keep all your New Year's resolutions, and if you do, that's great. But for most of us, this is typically not the case. Yet, every, at the end of every year, we uh, look and we think through, oh, man, what, what can I do to improve myself this coming year? Uh, why is that? Why, why, do we, why do we think that way? That's something that uh, I want to talk about this morning. I think most of us in here would admit, uh, and again, I'm talking about myself here, that we like to improve ourselves for our own benefit. We want to be seen as... Uh, Hey, look how much weight they lost, or look how many books they read, or look fill in the blank. Uh, That tends to be our motivation. We want to be seen as great by others. Greatness is a term and a concept specifically that gets thrown around in our culture a lot, uh, especially here in America. There's there's definitely a competitive drive to be the best, to be the greatest, uh, in a lot of different avenues and arenas of life. 
Uh, if you're around young people who are sports fans for any length of time, typically the GOAT debate will eventually uh, come up. The GOAT debate. What is that, Caleb? The GOAT stands for, is an acronym that stands for greatest of all time. And it is a very fiercely debated subject uh, amongst many teenage guys. Uh, and what's interesting to me, and again, I'm very young, but I'm not quite as young as them, is most of them would say, especially in, when they're talking about basketball, oh, LeBron James, he's the greatest of all time. Now, I'm young, but I'm also old enough to remember watching Michael Jordan, so I like to remind them, no, it's still Michael Jordan. So I know most of us in here probably agree with me, but maybe not. But that's beside the point. Greatness is, a, is something that gets fiercely debated, right? We, we have the Oscars, we have the Emmys, we have the Grammys, we have all these award shows uh, that are a big deal to our culture, and uh, whatever, whether it's who's the greatest musician, the greatest uh, businessman, or whatever it is, we fill in the blank. We like to talk about those things, and it's a big deal, a part of our culture. I'd like us to think about the question this morning, uh, what does God have to say about that? What does God think about greatness? What is true greatness in God's eyes? And that's where we uh, come to Mark chapter 10 this morning. What does God have to say about this? So, if you're there with me, uh, you can look at verse 35. We're going to jump into this story. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten other disciples heard this, heard, that heard it, they began to be indignant or angry upset at James and John. So we see here uh, in this story, there are two brothers, James and John, who, uh, if we read earlier in Mark and other parts of the New Testament, James and John are disciples of Jesus. And a disciple is someone who uh, is underneath someone, and they are following them around, and they're, they're seeking to learn from them and even be like them to a certain degree. And these guys are doing that. They, they have been following Jesus around. They've been learning from him. They've heard all sorts of life-changing teaching. They've uh, seen him do incredible miracles already in his life. They know there's something extraordinary about Jesus. They know that there's something, even from a God standpoint, that Jesus has that they don't and they want. Uh, and here we read about a request that they make. And what is their request? Their request is to sit in glory at Jesus' right hand and at his left now, for us, as we read this, it's going to be kind of easy to kind of cringe a little bit and be like, oh, out of all the things they could ask for, and they ask for that, like that's, man, those guys are self-centered. But for most of us in here, you guys got to think, James and John have been actually probably doing a lot for Jesus. They've been helping him out and being with him and keeping him company and doing all these different things. They were expecting something in return. And for most of us in here, how often do we serve or do something for someone and expect something in return? We're very similar to James and John in this respect. We very often times will focus on our own glory and our own awesomeness and wanting others to see that. Jesus responds in a certain way here. James and John, they talk, they, they, they've been doing all this work. They've been working extra hard. Now it's time for them to cash in their chips and to get something from Jesus. They deserve this. They're, they're entitled to this. 
But what is Jesus' response when, when he hears what they say? He says, I'm not so sure you know what you're asking for here. And they say, no, we're good. We can do it. Whatever, whatever you mean by that, we're good. We'll be able to accomplish it. Showing their self-reliance here. And Jesus then makes a reference to a cup and a baptism. He says, no, I don't think you really know. And then he talks about this cup that he's going to drink and this baptism that he's going to experience. And I don't know if you, want, you actually want that. And for us as modern readers, we're like, cup, baptism, what does that mean? Uh, throughout the Bible, those two words are used a lot of different times. But in the way that Jesus is using them here, it's pretty obvious what he's referring to. Oftentimes, uh, a cup of suffering or a cup of hard things, so to speak, that you might have to experience is referred to. Or a baptism, a submersion of suffering that would be experienced is referred to. And this is what Jesus is referring to there because he's saying he's going to have to do this himself. Suffering is a human experience that, or, or trials or tribulations or hard things that we experience. It's a human experience that we all will face at various points. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple and follow me and pursue this greatness, you're going to have to experience a little, some of this as well. Now, we won't have to experience the extent that Jesus experienced it. We think about what he's done for us and how much suffering he endured and what he had to give. But if you're going to be his disciple, there's going to be a cost. It's not going to be a perfect life. Jesus never promised that. So our expectation as disciples today should be the same. The disciples, in, in verse 42, it says that they're indignant at James, and, or 41, it says they're indignant at, at James and John. They're upset with them. And indignant here, angry, upset with them, not because that they asked such a thing, but because they beat him to the punch. All the disciples here all had this expectation that following Jesus would come this great glory, and they wouldn't have to do much to get it. And Jesus is saying, no, you're going to have to suffer a little bit in your life, or even a lot in your life, in order to be my disciple. And that's what the true greatness that Jesus shows in his life, that's what we, if we're going to be his disciples, that's what we have to follow after as we follow our example of our Savior in Jesus. So after his explanation of that, this greatness that he's talking about is going to come with some suffering, he then pivots to what's really important to him here and redefines what true greatness is. And we read about this in 42, verse 42. It says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, so he calls them back together, and he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave or servant of all. So notice when the disciples were asking about sitting at his right and left hand, Jesus doesn't even answer that. He's like, this, he deflects from it. And he turns and he pivots to specifically what is important to him. And what is important to him, we see in these verses. Oftentimes, we kind of have a, we have a tendency to be confused about what's really important in life in a lot of different arenas. Uh, as a basketball coach, part of my responsibility is to uh, put the players on the floor who are going to give us the best chance to win. So from a playing time standpoint, or getting guys in the game, I want to get as many people in as possible, but ultimately we're going to try to win the game, and the guys that are on the floor are the ones that are going to help us do that. Uh, but it's interesting to me, uh, and I was the same way when I was a high schooler probably, to m be misunderstood about what's going to get me on the floor. 
to think, man, if I could just be a lights-out three-point shooter, if I can just hit a bunch of threes, then coach has to play me. Then I'm going to help us win. Or, man, if I could just make those flashy passes, those oohs and ahs that will come from the crowd, and, and I'd be able to get on the floor, and we'd be able to, I'd be, coach will play me as much as he can, and we'll, we'll be able to win. But as a coach, and what, we, what I know we need to do as a team, I understand that if they don't play defense well, or they don't rebound well, or they don't take care of the ball and not lose it when they're in the game, then that's, that, those are the things that are important. Those are the things that are important to get them on the court, and those are the things that are important uh, for us to win. And yet our natural feelings, and my natural feelings when I was in high school, it wasn't always what it should have been. It's easy for us to be confused about what's really important uh, in all of life at various different points because we can't trust our feelings on this. We have to trust what God says in his word specifically about what, what is great and what matters to Jesus here. And what matters to Jesus is serving humbly. Thinking of yourself less. That's what humility, that's what serving humbly means. Not serving with an expectation of something. That's what Jesus is referring to here. It's different than what the world says. The world says, leader, great one, and then everybody else under him. They're in authority. I had a... a leader at a camp, uh, explained it to me like this. He said, the world's take is you have a pyramid, right? Kind of an organizational chart, so to speak. You have someone at the top, he's the great one, he's the leader, and then everybody under them, they're the ones doing all the work. They're the ones that are really putting in the effort. And this guy's just telling everybody what to do. God's way of greatness, God's way of leadership is different. It's that pyramid flipped upside down to where the leader or the great one is the one serving the rest and humbly serving the rest out of love not because they expect something in return. So flipping the pyramid in our own lives is something that we should be doing as if you're claiming to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. So what would that look like in your own life? I know for me, I don't ask that question near as often as I should. Right? What would the pyramid flipped upside down look like in my family relationships? Right? What would that look like in your family relationships with your spouse? with your children, at your church, if you're part of this church, with your brothers and sisters, what would that look like? What would that look like in your workplace as you serve your coworkers? That as Christians, we should seek to serve others. That should be our hearts bent, but not to serve others with the expectation of getting something or not to serve others just because we want to be seen as this person, as this great person, but to serve others with humble Humility, that humble, loving attitude. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And I know, like I said, it, those are questions as Christians that we should ask a lot more often than we do. And I'll be the first one to admit that. Flipping the pyramid upside down and seeing what that would look like. And those are all questions we should be asking even today as we're just sitting here. So in order to show this humble service and to be this humble servant, so to speak, and to others, how would you do that? What do you have to have? Do you have to be extremely spiritually mature and have all these verses memorized? Do you have to uh, know all the Bible and all the stories? Do you have to uh, have just strong resolve and want to and desire? Do you have to just be the best Christian ever? What, what does that take in order to serve humbly like Jesus is talking about here? Martin Luther King Jr. actually said it really well. He said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. 
You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Anybody can serve. Anybody can serve. Anybody can serve humbly like this. This heart full of grace, soul generated by love. Those two points, though, are questions that we need to ask about, like, how do we get that? What does that look like? How do we change our motivation so we can serve God's way and focus on what we can give as opposed to what we can get? How do we change our motivations? And that takes us to uh, one of the last verses we're going to look at in Mark 10. When after Jesus explains what true greatness really looks like, he says, and this is really it, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In thinking through this, it's, it's interesting because you think about if you're at a restaurant and a waiter is going to serve you, or a server is going to serve you, or a waitress is going to serve you, that's like expected, like they're a, they're a server, that's their job. But the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, serving you, that's, that's, that's tough to comprehend. Philippians 2 makes this pretty clear as well. When it says in, in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our example of love and service is our Savior. Jesus gave everything. We've been talking about the invasion around this Christmas season and how God with us, God came to be with us and Jesus. God came to be with us, but then Jesus died for us. He did even more than that. The humility and the humble service that he showed is our example. But we need more than his example, right? Because our motivations, our natural heart's inclination is not to do this to serve out of love for others. We need his sacrifice. We need his life. And that's why he died on the cross for us. Hebrews 9.12 makes that clear. It says, He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves that you'd find in the temple, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, an eternal salvation. Now we can be made fully right with God because of the full and complete sacrifice of Jesus. We can now be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe, fulfilling our purpose as humans here on this earth because of what Jesus has done. That's what makes that suffering he referred to earlier worth it. It's tough being a Christian, but it's worth it because of what Jesus has done for us, now making us right with God. And it's a redemption that can only be made, a salvation that can only be made possible through his death on the cross. And he did that for us. Only Jesus saves us. So we had a unique mission here on this earth. But his mission also pushes us to seek to follow after him in humbly serving others. In order to do that, though, we have to first trust in that salvation, right? Mark 10 Verse 47, so literally the next story that we, we read about, we read about this man named Blind Bartimaeus who's on the side of the road, and this is what he says to Jesus when he's coming by. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Later, verse 48, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And then in verse 52, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The disciples, they were asking for glory. Bartimaeus is asking for mercy. And that attitude towards Jesus, towards our God, knowing that we're sinners and we need our Savior to save us from our sin on a daily basis from, to even change our heart motivations, to become more like Him. That's, that's our attitude that we have to have. We have to trust in Jesus to save us and then our outflow of love and, and humble service for what he's done for us. At this point in history, in salvation history, it's interesting to read about James and John. Because we see a picture of them that is very, very different than what we read about them later in the Bible. Later on in the Bible, we read that these guys got it eventually. They got what Jesus was saying. After Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead... And before he ascended into heaven, he gave the disciples the Great Commission and said, go into all the world and tell everybody about this good news that I have to offer. These guys did it. And they did it at, with massive expense of their lives even. Uh, James, and we read in Acts, was killed for his faith in Jesus, was killed for sharing the gospel. We read about later about John, who gave us a good bit of our New Testament, and we read about um, someone who, who really was talking about love and God being love and, and, and how we now as Christians should be loving others. He was even exiled at the end of his life and, and experienced suffering as well. James and John show us that God saves broken people, but he also uses them. Those are the only people he uses, and he wants to use, use us as broken people. Uh, it's crazy the life transformation that takes place in these guys. But that's what happens when the message of Jesus really gets a hold of our hearts. And that's what we got to pursue. That's what we got to pursue. So as we go into this next year, uh, let's, let's ask those questions. Let's ask, how can I flip the pyramid upside down in my life? How can I take my next step towards Jesus, towards following Jesus? What would it look like for me to humbly serve God and others this coming year and follow my Savior's example in being truly great. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We're grateful for the sacrifice that you've made in sending Jesus to die in our place. And God, we ask that that truth would, would get, get into our hearts and that we would see uh, what you would have for us to do this coming year, and to focus not on improving ourselves uh, for our own benefit and glory, but that we would focus on serving others out of love for you and for others. And God, we ask that you would uh, strengthen us by your Spirit and help us to see uh, what are the next steps that we each individually need to take in this coming new year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.